don't believe you Cause we the people Are still here in the rear Yo, we don't need you You ain't a killing off good young nigga move When we get hungry, we eat the same fucking food The ramen noodle This simple voodoo is so maniacal Reliable to pull a juju The irony is that this bad bitch in my lap She don't tell me she make money, she don't study that She gon' give it to me, ain't gon' tell me none of that She gon' take the brain away the place she sit on that Vidors and signs with it, don't try to rhyme with it VH1 has a show that you can waste the time with Guilty pleasure, take the edge off reality And for a salary, I'll probably do that just sporadically The OG Gucci boots are smitten with iguanas The IRS piranhas see a nigga getting common Niggas in the hood living in a fishbowl Gentrify here, now it's not a shithole Trend set up, I know, my shit's cold Hands set up, because I ain't so bold But hell, all you black folks, you must go
Yeah, um, and then I also covered um, some stuff that's called planned shrinkage, uh, which is tied into this as well. Um, but I think that redlining more so than any other issue is one of the main, uh, it's one of the driving forces of uh, like systematic racism. Like this is literally what people are talking about when they use the word systematic racism. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's built in. It was created by the federal government. Yeah. Whole, yeah. Uh, so, but before we get into uh, redlining, there is some local news that Megan, I just wanted to hear your opinion of, and that is what's going on with the fireworks? I keep on seeing all of these articles online about how uh, Brooklyn, especially, uh, folks are. Uh, you know, like shooting off fireworks a lot more. This is very common in the summer, but apparently uh, it has uh, become a lot more prominent recently. And I'm in Texas right now, so I have no idea if this is like actually affecting people. So I thought I would <laughs> see what you had to say about it. I am vigorously nodding my head up and down. Uh, okay, so, you know, I live in South Brooklyn, but usually every Friday and Saturday night from Memorial Day to Labor Day, we have fireworks at a designated time when the sun goes down. Usually doesn't happen in most of their neighborhoods unless it's like 4th of July, whatever. Literally every day in this neighborhood, starting around 4 o'clock, some jackass is out on my street or on Coney Island Avenue lighting off some fountain fireworks or those um, those boom crackers, mm-hmm. right? And it's happening here. It's happening in Kensington, where my friend Bree lives. It's happening all over fucking Brooklyn. A couple weeks ago, there was a guy filming because he thought it was just a bunch of dumbass kids shooting it off. Turns out it was a bunch of fucking firemen at their fucking firehouse. Excuse the fucks. But yeah, like the firemen were lighting off fireworks on the street in front of the firehouse. It's absolute madness. Yeah. Um, my friends who live in like Bushwick, Bedstuy, Williamsburg, I'm a North Brooklyn kid, have been saying uh, very similar things. And I mean, yeah, like as you were saying, like we live in Brooklyn, fireworks are a special part of the summer that people really enjoy. But usually it is like kids or teenagers and like the family is seen out on their stoop. And I mean, you might have like some bottle rockets but for the most part the fireworks are just not very disruptive mm-hmm. you know whereas it sounds like these are um like louder and more just continuous and uh there was yeah, literally so just, like, unusual there was literally a guy on my street the other night shooting off the fountain rockets in front of my building i could see them from my couch out, out and, the window and do you think that this is coming from the community or do you think that this is like you're saying that like the fire department had been setting some off? I think it's the community. Yeah. Yeah. That's better. Um, there is a viral Facebook post about the fireworks and it gets honestly, it's like a little bit conspiratorial, but the gist of it is, is that uh, some folks think that, these fireworks, especially like the big, big, loud kind of pseudo-professional grade ones, 
are kind of like those uh, stacks of bricks that were being put out like on the route of marches mm -hmm. to uh, basically like instigate stuff. And mm -hmm. so some people think that it is like the police or maybe the fire department or whoever are um, just like supplying these fireworks to create like a public nuisance and more 911 calls and 311 calls about it so that the cops have like more leverage when people talk about defunding. They're saying like, no. oh, well, ever since we started this discussion, you know, 911 calls have gone up. It's, I'm sorry, it was happening uh, long before the protest started because of COVID, in my, at least in my oh, neighborhood. Okay. It's more related to people locked up in their houses having nothing to do, I think. I also know that the fire department is investigating that particular firehouse for their use of fireworks okay. on the street. Uh, there was a video, it looked like in uh, housing, a group of housing buildings. It could have been Bed-Stuy, it could have been Coney Island, I don't know. And there were people chasing each other with bottle rock, those some professional bottle rockets pointed at each other, those Roman candle styles that, that shoot out crazy. like that. It's crazy. You know, the internet is, they love, everybody loves a good conspiracy theory, but I don't think that has anything to do with it. I think people are bored. I think they're tired. I think they're, their summer is passing them by and they're just trying to, I don't know, annoy the shit out of their neighbors. I, maybe enjoy I don't know. the summer when they can i guess i guess i mean like you know neighbors can annoy each other in, uh, in a, a boundless number of ways but i don't think you need to do that but anyway yeah yeah it doesn't bother me so much but my poor cats really are on edge most mm -hmm. evenings yeah uh well that's one of the reasons why i wanted to talk about in the show is because um you hear these reports and because I, I had heard about that fire department, too, which I thought was lending some credence to the idea that maybe some of these were being, like, supplied. Um, but I take comfort in the fact that this is coming from the community. Um, I think that means that's, like, a much easier problem to solve. But I hope for the sake of your cats that maybe the fireworks calm down a little. Mm. Well, 4th of July is just around the corner, so I think they're screwed until at least after that. <laughs> Maybe after the fourth. Mm. So let's get into redlining. Um, oh, there's just so much information here. It's going to be, I'm trying to figure out the best way to structure our conversation. So I think maybe to begin with, we should just define mm -hmm. what redlining is. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, maybe go into the history of redlining. And then um, we can go into some like more modern examples and kind of where we are now. Okay. All right. Do you want to tell us what redlining is? <laughs> sure. Uh, so redlining is basically the practice that puts um, services, and we're focusing on financial, but it can be retail and otherwise, out of reach of residents of certain areas based on race or ethnicity. Um, it's essentially a systematic denial of mortgages, loans, insurance, and other financial services based on quote unquote location rather than an individual's qualifications and creditworthiness. Um, yeah. So that's, I mean, that's, that's the basic gist of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then it's amazing 
it really opened my eyes researching this about how entrenched this is mm-hmm. because it affects your land value, like your housing value. It affects your credit score. So if you live in a redlined neighborhood, you know, and you want to um, like rent a better apartment, you know, or get a mortgage or whatever, like it's kind of been already predetermined that there's going to be a cap on what you're able to get. Right. Also, and it's like too- regardless of other, it's like it really only takes into account your neighborhood slash your race. Right. And on top of all of that, it costs you more to live there because you have to travel farther for groceries and online retailers will charge you more to ship there. Yeah. You know, like sometimes you hear about cabs, they'll say like, I'm not going above like one tenth, you know? That's it. Yeah. So. Okay. And, uh, and then just like one more thing, just because I've never bought a house before. So some of these uh, terms are, were kind of new to me in a way. Um, I think like the number one thing that we were talking about with redlining is your ability to get a mortgage. Correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what is a mortgage? <laughs> a mortgage is one giant loan to buy the house. You basically put... If you're a first-time home buyer, you can put down 10% through an FHA loan, which is a government loan, which really is what we're going to be talking about in the historical part of this. <laughs> Otherwise, you go to a, a bank, a lender, and you say, okay, I've got this much equity in my current house. I've got this much saved up. Here's the house that I want to buy. They run a credit check. You have to put you know, 15 to 20% down, and then they give you a loan, and the house is the security for the loan. Right. Yeah. So if you're not able to pay your mortgage, the bank just confiscates your house. You go into foreclosure. Right. I have to say, I felt like a little bit silly that I had to look up the definition of mortgage for this discussion. But I mean, you know, like New York is a renting city. So I uh, I was married in a past life and he bought a house while I was taking a nap. So, yes, I know exactly what it is to get out from under a mortgage that in your divorce. Whoa. That's for okay. another that's for another conversation. <laughs> okay. Okay. I think you might have made the right decision in <laughs> I totally made the right decision. Okay. That's exciting. Okay. All right. Okay, so um, let's let's talk about the history and how where this came out because this started back in uh like World War like the Great Depression ish era mm-hmm. slash World War II, and there was a housing shortage. So the federal government began a program explicitly designed to increase and segregate America's housing stock, right? So yeah. 19, so, yeah. Okay. No, that's right. So 1934, they create the Federal Housing Administration. Um, and in the policies in this place, written manuals which I will get into later because I lost my shit when I was reading this, um, ensured that uh, the populations would be segregated and um, the efforts for the FHA were actually instructed to refuse mortgages in and near African-American neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's where the policy comes from. Yeah. 
like explicitly. So explicitly. there's explicitly, yeah, explicitly. Yeah. So there's this really amazing podcast um, from Stuff to Blow. It's from the um, Stuff You Should Know Network, mm-hmm. and it's called Stuff You Missed in History Class. And they have a oh, two-part um, episode on redlining, and uh, they are wonderful researchers. They dig really deep. And they were reading some of the, like, original criteria. So, literally, what the Federal Housing Administration did was was that they um, asked the Homeowners Loan Corporation, this is in 1935, to create this, like, residential security map of 239 cities where they had colored pens they had like a green pen a yellow pen and a red pen and um that's why it's called redlining they would just draw in on the map these black neighborhoods in red pen and be like no Mm -hmm. and uh so literally like under the descriptors for like say a green neighborhood it would be your qualifications for a green neighborhood and be like executive upper class makes above x income you know stuff like that and then the red just said like black neighborhood undesirable like no uh, yeah. yeah they were they were totally undesirable at the same time um the fha is subsidizing builders who are mass producing these entire subdivisions right so um and the requirement is that none of these homes be sold to african-american people either and it was it, it was quote, for the middle class, lower middle class white families. And ideally, they were, you know, they were supposed to look for natural divisions between these neighborhoods, like the green and red. So when you look at those maps, the ones that you sent me, like a highway, a natural, it's already existing, right? A railroad, the wrong side of the tracks. Yep. Mm -hmm. A river. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Your blood pressure yeah. up yet? <laughs> yeah, it was, and it, like I think that um, one of the really horrible things about this is is that even though these neighborhoods were um, delineated in the 30s, you still see the effects of redlining today. Mm-hmm. You know, and you you see, um, I mean, as we'll get in later. Uh, there's like these lawsuits that are being brought like in 2010 yeah, Yeah. because of redlining. So this is still like very present. And if you ever look around your neighborhood and realize that um, everyone there, that it's not very desegregated, this is probably why. Yeah. Well, a lot of this, this redlining, you know, it's that bullshit claim that, um, Blacks and other minorities bought a house in this, you know, white neighborhood, the value of the house and the neighborhood would drop, which is Mm -hmm. a total, it's been, it's totally been disproven. And in fact, diversity actually increases your property value. Yeah. It's, what happens is that whole, back in the day, it was like that whole like, oh, look, one black family moved in. So all the white people would leave because they're assholes. Mm -hmm. And that's what devalues, that's. The white people themselves devalued the neighborhood by leaving the neighborhood and refusing to. Well, and they were also, and it's like the white families were 
valued higher because they had more job opportunity. I mean, there's like so many. Yeah. It's like a perfect storm. Yeah, the list is nauseating and, and full of bullshit, but yes, yeah. that's true. And then I do have one piece of data that I think really uh, puts this into context, which is from 1934 to 1968, um, Black Americans received only 2% of all federally insured home loans. 2%. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And, like, again, it's like redlining causes um, these predominantly, like, inner city neighborhoods, the home value drops, mm-hmm. right? So people are now more poor because their house isn't worth as much as it should be and land's not worth as much as it should be. And you're also creating this rental class. And then, like, I don't know, we live in New York. We, we know the story. Like, landlords are probably never going to take care of a building in the same way as the owner who lives in the building. Right. You know? And yeah. so you get some lords, you get empty buildings, and then you get into the whole, like, the Bronx is burning um, and so, yeah, this caused this like gutted neighborhoods. Yeah. And this so is because, like, not by choice of the people who live there. Oh, no. And because the neighborhood has now gone to, you know, gone into the shitter. Now you don't want you, the grocery stores leave. The Even food deliveries leave. Basic bodegas will leave. Taxis won't go there anymore. Like you're living in a wasteland. Like you're mm-hmm. literally, you've literally built the wall and segregated these people from being a a contributing member of society. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, there are uh, maps that you can look at the original maps, you know, drawn in with like the green, the yellow and the red. And uh, we found one for New York city. And so here are some of the neighborhoods that were originally redlined And you can still uh, sort of see, like, some of these, like, you can still sort of see the redlining today. Mm -hmm. Uh, So in North Brooklyn, which just says most of North Brooklyn, as well as Cobble Hill, Gowanus, Sunset Park, Dumbo, Fort Greene, Bed-Stuy, East New York, Coney Island. Mm -hmm. And then in Manhattan, um, it was parts of Chinatown, the Lower East Side, Chelsea, Chelsea is an interesting case because, of course, now it's one of the richest neighborhoods. Um, and it, then let me. Was it sorry? because primarily it was uh, a gay enclave, or what did that happen later? Do we know? I think that it might have happened a little bit later, but it was a gay enclave because, again, it was like the quote undesirables. Right. Okay. And when we say when we say that word, that's like literally how. No, that's these regulations the, were written. Yeah, that's the term they used in their quote-unquote underwriting manual. Yeah. Um, let me see. All of Harlem? Like, the map is, like, astounding because it's, like, North Manhattan is entirely red and then dipping down up until maybe, like, the 80s, and then you get into the Upper East Side. Mm-hmm. And then the Upper East Side is, like, this little splotch of green. <laughs> Borderland. Uh, yeah, and then of course, like redlining um, was also, you know, like in just generally like immigrant communities, mm-hmm. and then occasionally poor white neighborhoods. Yeah. Um, but of course, like those neighborhoods didn't 
I would say probably didn't suffer the long reaching effects of this nearly as much as the black neighborhoods did. Well, probably not in New York so much because there's been there's you know there's a lot of money in this town. But if if you go out if you go further into the country or even you know into more rural communities, I'm sure that it's mm-hmm. still there. I'm sure you can see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then let me see in Queens, parts of Astoria, Long Island City, Corona, Jamaica, and the neighborhoods surrounding um, JFK. Yeah. So this is like a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And it also, if you can tell from this list, it's also a lot of areas that are now gentrified. Well, this underwriting manual basically says, and this is a quote from a book that I got, I read a bit of today. It's called The Color of Law, A Forgotten History of How Our Government Segregated America by Richard Rothstein. Uh, I've downloaded it. I'm going to read the whole thing, but I skimmed it. And this is interesting from their manual. It says, quote, incompatible racial groups should not be permitted to live in the same communities. digest that mm-hmm. if you can like it's unbelieving it's, I can't like I just I knew it existed but the research just I I was so enraged this morning when I was reading this like who the fuck are you to decide this shit yeah and then it's also a little bit frustrating that I at least never learned about this in school even though you know we spent time um, learning about like different social programs, their, their like issues, their effects, you know, I mean, like, I do think that our, like we did like this huge project on prisons, you know, Mm -hmm. and that, that's like a really good thing to learn about is the criminal justice system. But then you have something like this, which like, I don't know, like the SAT should have an essay about it. They didn't teach right. me this in my middle-class Catholic school in Minneapolis. They didn't teach me this at all. No, yeah. I mean, they, they, did, they were like, segregation existed. It doesn't anymore. Like, okay. Because, what, you sent that little Ruby girl to school one day? Yeah. And, it, like, especially... So, it's like, I don't know. It's, like, frustrating that so much of this is new to us and then also I mean like even for crime talk like I've been wanting to do an episode on redlining for a while and I always got kind of intimidated by the research because it is a little bit wonky and you're trying to you're like diving through housing laws uh but this is something that is worth the time um yeah I just highly recommend that people google it there's articles there's podcasts there's books there's all kinds of things even our president and his dad did all kinds of redlining back in the 70s which we can Mm -hmm. address we can address later on um so i guess you jump into the uh title seven fair housing act of 1968 right Mm mm-hmm it was supposed to be this sort of meaningful federal enforcement of, of laws to prevent people from, or landlords and, you know, whatever, banks, from um, to either rent or, or, or give loans out based on race, color, and disability. Um, 
religion and sex and other things were added a little later on. But that's it's all and LGBTQ people. Yay. So they under this law there the there was advertising regulations, sailing sales regulations, rental regulations on dwellings, um, and you also under these laws couldn't coerce, threaten, or intimidate or interfere with the person's enjoyment or exercise of their housing rights. Which, you know. In New York, that happens to pretty much everybody that rents. But okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, uh, also under this rule, individuals who believe that they could, they have experienced housing discrimination can file a complaint with the um, Federal Housing Authority and funds from them would be, they would, funds from that organization would be given to state and local governmental agencies to bring lawsuits against whomever it was banks landlords whatever and this like currently yeah. now like this is what this is what um you know where we get money for to take down new york slumlords which doesn't happen very often but there it is <laughs> they're still operating with impunity um yeah <laughs> Okay. I was so, gonna say I just lived with like um I lived in like a slumlord apartment recently before I moved into this new one, and we wanted to wait until after we had left to try to um to report the landlord because our landlord was not above retaliation, mm-hmm. and the group that I reached out to said that we could only file a complaint while we were current residents, and I'm just like, oh, for the love of. <sighs> Anyway, well, well, that is also a big problem because a lot of people don't have the privilege of moving out of a shitty situation. Right. And so their Mm -hmm. landlords, not only do they like let the building go entirely, but then they they start construction on what's supposed to be fixed. And then they just let it and then they just don't continue the construction. They basically tear these people's houses apart. Yeah. Mm. Joy of living. Uh, let me see. So while all of this is going on, just to give it a better idea, um, so 1968, you know, the Fair Housing Act is passed. Things are supposedly supposed to be getting better. This is not really true. Um, now, while you are able to, um, you know, like sue and bring about these court cases and there's more of an oversight structure, there is still um, – yeah, like just these systematic issues. You, you like have literally fabricated p- poverty in these neighborhoods. Yeah. And so this causes disinvesting in the community from like a city standpoint. So yeah, again, you have more abandoned buildings, landlords not taking care of their properties because there's like no real money in these properties anymore. Um, this affects like the health of the community um neighborhoods that are poorer will have less parks you know um but then there's also something called planned shrinkage and that's where the city cuts services to poor neighborhoods because those neighborhoods aren't supposedly aren't paying enough in tax revenue to fund like public utilities you know um so this means that there's like less police patrols, less garbage removal, um, 
like street repairs go by the wayside, um, you close down firehouses. And so, I mean, I think it's obvious that what they should do is take the tax revenue from like richer neighborhoods and then evenly disperse it so everyone gets the same, but some folks, I guess, don't want to do that. Um, when you talk about the, Bronx, the Bronx's burning um, back in 1970s, like the mm -hmm. 1976, I think, is when the BBC special came out, um, that's what they're talking about. Um, fire departments all over the Bronx were shut down as a way to save money. Um, for example, one fire department was serving um, more than 40,000 people in the South Bronx in Staten Island, a richer part of New York City, it was um, 17,000, mm. just as like a comparison. So you don't have like fire departments that are really there. And then you have these landlords with um, empty buildings or buildings that have like low-income residents who can't pay as much as the landlords would like. So the landlords would supposedly set fire to their own buildings and collect insurance money. So. Um, so I wonder, particularly, uh, I just had a thought and I looked it up and I'm, and I'm talking out of my ass here, but um, the Cross Bronx Expressway was in the middle of being built and it was only completed in 1972 by Robert Moses and his grand plan to fix New York and I'm wondering if the city intentionally and I'm going to look it up later when we're done but maybe the city intentionally shut down a lot of services in those neighborhoods so those people would be forced to move and they didn't move oh that's interesting because yeah there's a whole th there's I'm going to have to look that up later but it's an interesting theory on why they would start cutting services in the Bronx because he needed it to go a certain direction through a certain neighborhood and people refused mm -hmm. to leave right i mean the fire chief was the one who suggested shutting down these firehouses i believe so i mean definitely it was like a from the top decision like the city was working with everyone on well yeah clearly not working with the community but you know like right. city council or whoever decided to get rid of these services i mean i don't know i don't think it's beyond the round of possibility that something like that would happen Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I mean, God only knows what kind of neighborhoods they had to move when they put in JFK. Or um, Central Park uh, was built on a, like, middle-class black neighborhood. Yes, it was called Seneca Village. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, racism is real. <laughs> Yeah, I'm so tired of people saying that they don't they don't know what institutionalized racism looks like. And like, that's because you're white and you don't want to know. It's everywhere. It's and everywhere. you don't even have to look that hard. Like as a white person, you really don't have to look that hard for it. No, you don't. You just have to. I don't know. See it. <laughs> I'm just, I'm telling all, I've lately been telling all my white friends, like, this is your responsibility. You need to figure this out. I'm like, here are some resources, do some re research. This is like socioeconomically, this isn't going on since the dawn of this country. Come on. Yeah. 
Yeah. It is it is our responsibility as white people to figure this fucking thing out. So tired of it. I've lost a lot of I lost a lot of friends the past few weeks. Have you really? I'm fine with it. Turns out there were a bunch of dicks. I don't know. I think that for the most part, my friends are all pretty willing to, you know, like read up on this stuff and everyone is, you know, like supporting Black Lives Matter. Uh, the people who are a little bit more conflicted about it, I am trying to talk to. I tried. Most, I mean, even the, even the people that, there's a lot of people that I know that who don't see the socioeconomic racial practices, they do support Black Lives Matter because they do understand that black people are being shot by the cops yeah. disproportionately more than anybody else. But they really don't understand the systematic racism that's going on in this country. And I tried to explain mm-hmm. to them, like, we were... We were built on the backs of slaves. How do you not understand that it's not going to be built into our socioeconomic system? Yeah. It's hard because being from the South, I I have like one friend in New York who says like, oh, well, people I knew supported X, Y, or Z or said this thing, then I would just cut them out of my life. And I'm like, I'm from a like place where many people don't question these things and I don't think that you can just cut everyone out or like abandon folks who haven't examined these ideas like I think that especially like if you're white and you have the capacity to talk to them about about um, social justice issues, then you should. Oh, I I tried. <laughs> but you can only argue with someone or point someone in a direction for so long before they were just like, it doesn't matter to me. And if yeah. it doesn't matter to them, then that tells me that I don't want you to be as close to me as you are right now. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I also learned that some of my friends want to have uh, Jesse Ventura run for president. So... Um, things are Jesse Ventura. I don't. I don't even know who that is. Oh, okay, girl. Former government. Former governor of Minnesota. Also, former pro wrestler. So, yeah. Okay. Let's just another <laughs> moving I, on. Let's get back to topic because I can't. The the whole world is upside down right now. Yeah. Um, oh, one more thing that was going on before we get to some of your court cases, Megan, is, is that uh, there's something called reverse redli- redlining, which is basically predatory lending. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I think calling it reverse redlining is um, poorly named because that kind of, I saw that, I'm like, oh, great, people are trying to do like things to solve this. Like, no, um, it's when banks would target minority neighborhoods. Um, and then charge them a higher interest on their mortgage than they would a white family. And um, this causes a whole slew of issues. It, so. it, apl- it applies to, um, I also saw it applies to student loans and uh, certain credit cards and insurance, like insurance for your car, insurance for your house, insurance for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's more, 
it's just straight up more expensive to be black and poor in America. So fucked up. So. All right. Well, I just I only I looked into a number of other court cases, but the one I really want to bring your attention to is U.S. v. Fred and Donald Trump, filed in 1973, when the U.S. Department of Justice went uh, to court with a discrimination claim against the Trump family businesses, which rented apartments across Brooklyn and Queens. This is particularly related to the. I don't know, seven buildings down here in Coney Island, one of which I actually looked at to rent in 2016. It's a dump. I don't know how you call it luxury, but there it is. Um, now, we're also, this is 1973, so Richard Nixon is president, right? So he's not really the, the super civil rights agitator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, the, I mean, the echoing that this current president has of Richard Nixon is, is mind-boggling. But anyway, so the complaint is based on an investigation by the FBI and other uh, organizations that found four different Trump employees confirming that applicants for leases were screened by race. One rental agent said Trump's father had told him not to rent to blacks and that he actually wanted to reduce the number of African-Americans in the building. Three doormen during the investigation had been instructed to deflect uh, black people who came to the Trump buildings to apply for apartments. One said, uh, quote, my supervisor told me that if a black person came to 2650 Ocean Parkway and inquired about it, and I'm putting that out there because the FBI files online, so I'm not worried about that. Um, 2650 Ocean Parkway and inquired about an apartment for rent, and he, meaning the building manager wasn't there that I should tell him that the rent was twice as much as it really was in order that he could not afford the apartment. Mm-hmm. They it's also said, it's pretty well, they also said, uh, they had a pair of, uh, testers. So there was a black guy and this woman named Sheila Morris, who was white and they were hired by the New York city civil human rights division. So the black guy goes out and gets that same information and then they send out white lady Sheila Morris uh, for the same apartment. And they were happy as hell to hand her over a lease to her. And they did this to in every building of, of this particular complex out here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So rather than work with uh, the government to bring the Trump organization into compliance, they retained Roy Cohen and commenced a... $410 million countersuit against the government. Okay. Smell familiar? Mm-hmm. Yep. I guess so. He and Cohen, uh, Donald, Ju- Donald actually is junior. Fred was senior. So it's just D- the Don. And Cohen go out and call uh, the federal government and their attorneys, stormtroopers, and the Gestapo in the press. And is this reverse discrimination and alleged a nationwide drive to force landlords to rent to welfare recipients. Sound familiar? Oh, how dare they be held accountable for, for following, for breaking the law. I know it. Um, so this, the, the countersuit was dismissed by the judge who quote, called it a waste of paper. 
That's so th satisfying. It's very satisfying. Um, eventually, there was a settlement that came to most of which, um, uh, if there was any monetary amount, uh, that is not public. But the uh, requirements are that for two years, the Trump organization would be required to supply weekly lists of vacancies to the Urban League's open housing center when the vacancies opened up. In buildings where fewer than 10% of the tenants were black or Hispanic, the center would then have three days to submit applications for minority clients who wanted those apartments. And if they qualified, they were to get preference by agreeing to advertise vacancies in newspapers that served the black community. He was also required to advertise vacancies in press outlets serving minority communities. So, okay. Could do more in that settlement could have pushed mm -hmm. for more. The FBI files are online on their portal. They were released in 2017, mostly unredacted except for uh, non-party names, about 400 some pages of records. A little bit are hard to read, but uh, worth a look-see to see what kind of president you have if you don't believe he's a racist. Just saying. Um, yeah. I'd also like to mention that there are currently it's currently estimated that about 2 million cases of housing discrimination happen each year. Yeah. Yeah, this is still, like, very present. Like, these lawsuits are still coming in. Um, let me see. So, New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman yep. announced a settlement with Evans Bank um, for $825,000. Um, this is in 2015. And um, investigation had uncovered the erasure of black neighborhoods from mortgage lending maps. Um, and according to um, the attorney general, um, let me see, over 1,100 mortgage applications that the bank received between 2009 and 2012, there are only four from black families. Right. That is a huge discrepancy. Yeah. Uh, let me see. And then the U.S. Department of Justice announced a $33 million settlement with Hudson City Savings Bank, um, which is in New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania. Um, this is also in 2015. And uh, that the investigation from the Department of Justice uh, showed that the bank was intentionally avoiding granting mortgages uh, to Latinos and African-Americans um, and purposefully avoided expanding and serving minority-majority communities. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so a quote from the Department of Justice, uh, it was the largest residential mortgage redlining settlement in its history, and this was five years ago. Right. I mean, like, I'm not saying that the Obama administration is any better. They only brought, like, uh, I think I read nine suits against financial institutions for this in his eight mm -hmm. years as president. So there's a, yeah. there's a full structural failure across the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to see. I think that covers at least most of what of my research. That's the most of mine, too. Um, I mean, I tried to keep it succinct without diving down the rabbit hole. I mean, 
I could sit here for days on end and read about this and how it started in the books and the podcasts and the whatever. So mm-hmm. again, I again I highly recommend that people uh, bring themselves a little more woke on the topic and do their own research. Yeah, and I mean, so there's been so much coverage of this. Do you have any takeaways? <sighs> I didn't really get, uh, other than my r- internal rage, um, I, I just want people to understand that this is a thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, look around your city and see how segregated it is. Like, Minneapolis is the same way. Yeah. Um, Ta-Nehisi Coates for The Atlantic uh, oh, I read wrote... That, yeah. I read that about one, redlining. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely worth. I mean, you could do a podcast just on this topic. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's just it, it's mind blowing though that, um, I think the the biggest mind blowing thing for me is that the federal government set it up, not just the financial institutions. Mm-hmm. Like I get financial institutions because they're all about bottom line and they don't, you know, that they sort of run an internally classist system in the first place. But the federal mm-hmm. government set it up during the New yeah. Deal era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was like the 30s. It's like our grandparents lived during this time. Mm-hmm. You know. My, so. parents, my parents grew up in the 40s. Like they lived shortly after this all started. Mhm. Yeah. All right. Um. Well, I think that's all for today. It's funny. I think that us um, not being in the studio has actually gotten us to strengthen our research and um, be a little bit more succinct in our explanations. Sometimes. Other times, I just I get so caught in the rabbit hole. By the time we're recording, I'm a little scattered. I'll admit yeah. it. I fully admit it. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for listening to Crime Talk BK. Uh, New episodes will air on RadioFreeBrooklyn.org every Saturday from 11 a.m. to noon. And we look forward um, to hanging out with you guys next week. Later days. satisfied. We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied. As long as our body is heavy with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the cities.
We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating for whites only. We cannot be satisfied as long as a Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and a Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No, no, we are not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. I am not my unmindful that some of you have come here out of great trials and tribulations. Some of you have come from areas where your quest for freedom left you battered by the storms of persecution and staggered by the winds of police brutality. You have been the veterans of creative suffering Continue to work with the faith that unearned suffering is redemptive. Go back to Mississippi. Go back to Alabama. Go back to South Carolina. Go back to Georgia. Go back to Louisiana. Go back to the slums and ghettos of our northern cities. Knowing that somehow this situation can and will be changed. Let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say to you today, my friend, so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day, This nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down In Alabama, with its vicious racists, with its governor 
having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification. One day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is a faith that I go back to the South with. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day, this will be the day with all of God's children be able to sing with new meaning my country tears of thee sweet land of liberty of thee i sing land where my fathers died land of the pilgrims pride from every mountainside let freedom ring and if america is to be a great nation this must become true and so let freedom ring from the prodigious hilltops of new hampshire let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, and when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. <laughs>